You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. I really want to thank everybody for last week. Uh, It was was a really special time. Uh, Rick and Debbie knocked themselves out. Debbie, she she arranged everything out there. And so Christopher, if you're listening, give your mom a big hug and kiss for me. So, um, and I just, I'm a, I was a little overwhelmed, to be honest, so I just really, I really thank you. Today we're going to start a three-week series, and it's going to delve into, the series is going to delve into a couple of different areas of theology, of our Christian life, and all of a sudden you go, theology, oh my gosh, it has to be tantamount to incredibly boring. Before you get nervous about theology, it's not some PhD that's, that's shoved off into a corner. Theology is getting to know God. That's what theology is. So you guys are all theologians. If you get together and you talk about God, you're having a theological conversation. See, what happens is when they get the PhD, they add big words to everything to make it sound important. Theology is just get, getting to know God. And what we wanted to, what we're talking about, is when we talk about God, we ask questions, who is God? We ask about, you know, what's he about? Why is he like he is? All those kind of things, all those questions, those are theology. I want to point out, theology is different from philosophy. All right? Because what we're really trying to do is, is come into knowledge about God and then not about you know, some speculation, not some uh, you know, uh, apologetic proofs, not even a string of like verses out of order. Theology is going to be faithful to its pursuit and the knowledge of God when it comes, when, it, when you study God according to his nature and his, his being, his very being. Now it sounds odd, but this is taking up the mind of Christ. This is the renewing of the mind. Yeah. Many of you have seen, it says 1 Corinthians uh, 2.16, you must renew your mind. That's what happens as we really come into the, a theological area where we're really going to start to study. And this means giving God absolutely so, obs, absolute sovereignty in our knowledge. Uh, this is not, not us being in the center, but God being in the center of the source of all of our knowledge. And this is important. We know God only in accordance with God. And that is through the Son, that's how we know the Father. And so that's where we come into to everything. So God's, we're not going to ask human questions in an attempt to speculate what God is. I hope you understand what I'm talking about. We're coming to God from God. All right. I'm going to call this lasagna theology. Because I always, every metaphor is either sp- sports or food. And you're getting food today. Okay, lasagna theology, as I call it, is there's several layers in how we come to know God. And, and, and it's kind of a journey. One layer never takes the place of the other. They stack. That's the reason I thought about lasagna. Or what's keto for lasagna? I don't know. <laughs> Instead of noodles, you can, put, you can put slices of eggplant. And <laughs> so, all right. So anyway, so there's basically three steps that I, I recognize. The first one is our first step of salvation. That's the moment. Then there's, we move from there to what most people call our theological step. 
That's when we start studying the Bible a little bit. And then we have encounter and experience. That's step number three. And at the salvation level, what you don't really realize, you have an intuitive knowledge of God that is extremely broad. And everything is like, wow, this, and wow, that, and everything. But we're just like kids. You ever notice how deeply kids think? And they say, what? They'll ask you something about space. What, they'll ask you about what's eternity? And what's, when you get to the end of space, what's beyond that? Because they're thinking eternity. They start asking these big questions. Well, we do the same thing theologically. We intuitively see this vastness of God and we start asking vast questions. But we really don't have a way of articulating it. So everything's like exploding. But then we move to what some people would call our theological selves. So we start studying the Bible. And we start looking at the Bible and we start to bring that down into our why and the explosion things and try to start getting answers. So in the first place of salvation, we're understanding God based on what he did for me. You mean God's doing this? God's going to give me this? God's going to, and it's all true and it's all good. Don't, this is not about selfishness. This is about we're rediscovering who God is through what he gives us. We get a little bit more into theology. We, get, we start to know a little bit about God. And that's on that second step. And our relationship is starting to build. And we're starting to get, understand a little bit about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, those kind of things. Unfortunately, for, I'm going to say, my experience of people in church, that's where it ends. And you go, no beyond that. So they've got the wow moment, they get into their Bible, and they don't go beyond that into the third step of, of getting into the presence and, and the experience of God. Vineyard always has, but some churches really don't. I talked this. I talked to my wife about her church. Her church doesn't. They really have never seen a move of the Holy Spirit hardly. It just doesn't seem to happen much. I went. You guys heard me talk about the time I went down to Cincinnati to the church in Madison, Cincinnati. It's a suburb of Cincinnati. That church had never seen that outpouring of the Holy Spirit before. And then when Pastor Park and I were together, boom, they were like, wow, what in the world? Had a new experience. That third level actually grounds the first and the second. And this is what we have to understand, because lifting our relationship to Jesus and thus to the Father and the Holy Spirit at vast levels, this self-communication in God in the saving and reality activity of Christ and His Spirit. Okay. We, we move from God for us and God to God in us and subsequently into the God self himself. We come into the place where God and we're in the middle. I hope I'm not losing you. We just did that. Right on. We literally just did that moments ago where we were in the God self. We all got engaged. You could tell it by our faces, by our reactions, how we hugged each other, how everything had changed. You had a theological moment, and you, never, and you would never mark that down as theological. All three parts have to grow together, and don't get me wrong. If you miss any one part, you get a tilt of your knowledge of God that's wrong. 
If you spend all your time just studying the Bible, what ends up happening, what creeps into it, is your own self-description of God, which then becomes philosophy, not theology. It's man-oriented, not God-oriented, and so then it becomes what? If you make the, if you personally, as man, define God, what has it, what's your God become? An idol. God's not God. It's what you made God. And we let this slip in and out sometimes. And, I, and we have to be very, that's the reason we have to always, says, it says, work out your salvation with, with, with fear and trembling, because we want to make sure we do it right. We're not teaching wrong. We don't learn wrong. The other thing is, the third level is found mostly in worship. The third level is found mostly in worship. Now, worship is, can be in, in many different kinds. It can be singing. It can be praising. It also is in obedience. Our obedience is worship. God's direct revelation is a part of his relational presence with you. It, he manifests his presence during worship. I, we just read Psalm 100 earlier. That's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Let's just read it one more time. This one is, I think, the NASB. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us and not ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. His thankfulness to all generation, or faithfulness to all generation. That is what happens in praise. And then God reveals to you. In your praise, you, you take your thanksgiving, your thanksgiving prayers, and you take everything you have, and you lift it to God in His presence. You're not throwing it up to a cloud. You're lifting it to him in his presence. So you're putting it at his feet, not into the sky. And then he, in turn, receives this and then returns with you with revelation and blessing. And what we overlook is spending the time listening during the revelation time. And that's what he wants to do. Okay? Another one I, I like to look at is Hebrews 4. And the reason is, people look at Psalms and they say, that's all metaphor. Really, we don't do that. But Hebrews 4 does it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. By the way, a great high priest. The high priest does what? He is the one who takes people on earth and communicates to God on their behalf. He's the mediator for people to God. What happened when you became born again? You became a high priest because you have direct access to Christ. And you have become a high priest. And you mediate from earth to God. And so, yes, when you're praying for someone else, you're the high priest. Your prayer is being heard to God also. You are in the throne room with him, just as the, whole, the high priest went into the Holy of Holies. So we have got to stop thinking of ourselves as someone who's less than one who can enter the Holy of Holies. So let's go forward now. Sorry. For we do, for, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. 
Do you understand Jesus has been tempted every single one of us the same way that we have been tempted? That's hard to, I don't want to get into that whole theological concept, but just put it this way. Your fallenness, he stepped into. And, and he knows what you know. Okay. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Have mercy. We move right in. I'm going to do one more. All right. John 4. But an hour is coming and is now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. He's talking here about worshiping in spirit and truth, bonding in spirit with the Father. So this is not human questioning human. This is spirit of us, meaning spirit of God. God gave me these words. I I just found them overwhelming. Rick's going to ask me to say them twice. It's impossible to separate worship from theology. It's impossible to separate worship from theology. Worship forms our relational contact to the triune God. We encounter and experience the reality of the person of God from the center of God to us. We engage in his reality from the perspective of his nature, his heart, and his pursuit of our heart. Then theology becomes rational worship that orients our thinking towards God in a posture of adoration because when we come before the truth of God's very being in triune personhood, our only approach is from our knees. When you go from worship back to the Bible, you thump, it, it crushes you. When you go from the presence of God back to his word of God, and you, you see the confirmation of everything that's just happened, it, it just changes you. Going into the word without having worship becomes literature. And we have to be in the spirit of Christ, worshiping in spirit and truth to receive spirit and truth. And so we... Then we, that way we're blending our worship with our theology in a very special way. So now we're looking through a lens of our experience of Christ into our reading the word of Christ. So now the experience matches the word, which matches our wow. And it comes together. That's how we generate our theology. And, and so... I'm, I'm just going to say there's an extremely valid place for our personal experiences to be part of our worship. I mean, to be part of our theology. How we know God, we must, ex- when we have an experience of God, when we feel something extremely special, when you have a dream and you've awakened and you're like, I wonder what that was about, and you start to write it down, don't discount that as a dream. You, you look at it and say, how does this pair up now? And all of a sudden, you, he leads you and you read the, right in the gospel, just like you had that same word. You think that that was a coincidence? You think it's a coincidence I was sitting there talking about the same things that we just read? I didn't know what she was going to bring up. I said, pull something up. She goes, I'll just do whatever Rick's, Rick's rotation. I said, it works for me. I didn't know what we were going to read until we got here. I mean, this is, this is how God works. He doesn't stumble into anything. That's right. 
So anyway, I think this gives us a very, very different view of our corporate worship also, that how we are corporately. Because I, I'm, I am going to proclaim this and I will never change, that our church worship brings us into the presence of God. Amen. The presence of God then gives us something where then the message of God goes through that lens. I'm telling you, when before I knew Christ and, and engaged at all in worship, I thought, oh, you guys are singing these same songs. That was before. I thought I heard more boring sermons than I ever heard in my life. Then I got engaged in worship. I'm going, this guy's good. <laughs> because the Holy Spirit had changed what I was looking at. And what he actually does is he actually plows into something to me and makes me a place to plant seeds. The Holy Spirit, I don't want to say fertilizes me, but you know, that doesn't hurt either. So and this is the basis of discovery of theology in the kingdom. This is why the kingdom is important. The kingdom has come for God to be with us personally and to be with us growing and that the kingdom advances. We're not, kingdom came, there's going to be a big long wait, and then kingdom comes again. This is a kingdom comes, and we're participants in the kingdom as we move. And we grow and are guided and led in our experiences with God so that we can be impactful for the kingdom of God. You know, spiritual discipline is Christ's likeness for others. If it's just Christ's likeness for myself, it's, it's, it's egotism or narcissism. If it's Christ's likeness for others, then I'm being spiritually disciplined. And so that's what we're in this for. The, the kingdom is so intense and it's so cool. There's another aspect of this that's really important that we're going to have to have. All right. We have to have right understanding of the relationship between Jesus and his father. And this is really, really important. If we're going to make Jesus the source of all of our theology, then we have to come to an understanding that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. And if we think that there's any variance, it doesn't work. It's the being, the acts of the Father and the Son are one, and they're not divided. It's called one in being. You have the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one being. They are not ever in conflict. The let us was never a discussion of what about you think? What do you think? It was a harmony of our creation. There's never a conflict between the Father and the Son, and they're inseparable. Understand this. The Father and the Son are inseparable. If, this has got to be central to our theology. This is central to our understanding of God. And if it's not, we're, we're missing something. You've got to then pray for God to, to reveal things for you so you understand it. The truth of the gospel depends on the, the, the oneness and unity of the Father and Son. This, re, this doctrine reveals to us there's no God back here that we have to worry about. Because if they're not exactly the same, then I know Jesus loves me, but this guy I'm not so sure of. And a lot of us have been raised in a church that feared the Father and loved the Son. I was. And so the theology never worked then. Because I always saw Jesus as, as being the servant of the Father and the Father being wrathful. 
didn't make sense to me. So there's a, there's a fancy word for this union of them, and I can't hardly say it, Halmusium or something like that, but it's spelled H-O-M-O, then O-U-S-I-O-N. See, they theologians, they take these, fan, these little concepts, God is one, and have to make a Greek word that no one can say, so they're the only ones who can say it. So. <laughs> but I hope you really understand, this is utterly decisive in the way God relates to us in love and grace. God has done and continues to do for us in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit what God really is in himself. That's so important to understand this. What Jesus does for us is what God is in himself. I want to show you just a couple of verses real quick. I, I always like, I want, so you don't think this is something I'm making up as I go along. I'd like to have a couple of verses in there. All right, let's go with, with Hebrews 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the, power of his, by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sin, he sat down at the right hand on the of the majesty on high. Perfect, exact, representation of the Father. If you, all right, remember, how, how did Jesus put it? Uh, John 14, I'm gonna read actually verses eight through 11. I don't think I have all of them on the tape, but. So Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been so, have I been so long with you and yet you, you have not come to know me, Philip? Who, who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. And this really speaks out against that. There's a tendency, actually, of dualism. There's a tendency that the Father and the Son act somewhat independent of each other. Even though they may be in agreement, they're not together at all times. To do that is to deny the incarnation in God's self-revealing, that God has been made man. And it's, it's the, it, I, I wish I could say how this upsets me. You don't see the eternal, inseparable bond of the Father and Son until you see this. And then everything else then follows this. So no other factor should determine our knowledge of God more than Jesus Christ. No other factor. No theoretical ideas about God should be given more weight than the self-revelation of God in Him. And for, there's one, first, one concept, it's, it, for, first, the concept of one is essential in securing our knowledge of God. Second, a firm conviction of the truth of the union. There is no reality in our salvation, no certain of our knowledge of God, and no assurance that we are loved by him. If you don't believe that they are one, we don't know that we're saved. Do you understand that, how important this is? To let us drift mentally to think God is one way, Father, and, and Jesus is a different way, 
it, it breaks down and everything. I have no assurance that I've been saved. Jesus may be in agreement with me, but now I gotta go talk to the Father who has a different mind? How do I know the kingdom has come? If Jesus is not the same as the Father, has the kingdom come? This is really important. And I'll tell you why it's important. If you don't have a sense of their being completely in union, then we, we have trouble believing the resurrection. Because we've, we have converted Jesus into a very, very moral man that is not the exact likeness and, and the person of God. And so we have to be careful of that. It's dangerous. And I've, 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 I struggled with this when I really started becoming Christian. And I, I, I looked at this and, and God has been so good with me because he keeps giving me these different revelations of who he is and how this works. And one of them he did is, I was taught that there was a divide between the Father and the Son at the cross. I don't know if any of you have ever been taught that or felt that or sensed it, that there was a divide between the Father and Son at the cross. That, when, that the, probably the most misinterpreted verse in the Bible is when Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If, how many people, I, I, this is, no, I don't do it this way, but would, would it be fair to agree, a lot of people think at that point, the Father has abandoned Jesus and that he's about to feel the wrath of God, who's, who's an angry God that's going to participate in the death of Christ. And I think a whole lot of us have that. And I think that we're misunderstanding, number one, that verse. He follows it up with what? Almost immediately. Father. He doesn't say, my God, my God, impersonal third person. He goes back to Father. That comes from a certain place. That, that verse does. And I think we're misunderstanding it. It is the most amazing place you'll ever read in the Bible, possibly. He's quoting Psalm 22. Psalm 22 begins with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So everyone who heard that, every Jew would know that, that, that Psalm by heart. And because they knew it by heart, all you have to do is say the first line and then the whole meaning of the verse comes through. As a matter of fact, my wife, in, in a lot of different cultures, you say one line of, of, a, of a thought, it, it says everything. Almost like we, if we hear one uh, popular line from a song, we know what the whole song was about. You know, in, in my wife's uh, hymn book, all the hymns are the first line of the song. Every one of them are. They're all the first line. That's what the names are. And that's really how they name the, the Psalms. In the culture, if you want to, they didn't have Psalm 22. They had, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was one of the Psalms. And in her culture, they actually give letters for different idioms. Because they use them so much. They don't even say the whole thing. And everybody knows what they mean. I'm try to translate that one. So. So like when we say, once in a blue moon, they might, they might say, OMB, one moon blue. And they all know what it means. You texters already do that. So I want us to look at this in, in Psalm 22 a little bit. I'm going to read a couple of verses. It's amazing. Sure I didn't make slides for it because I didn't finish my sermon in time. 
I, I'm going to tell you why it's amazing for me. I have never heard this. And after I heard, I, I, you know how I, I, actually, the Holy Spirit did this for me. I'm looking at my Bible, and I'm reading this. I'm, I'm like, I'm about to do a sermon on this. And Lord, I'm still not totally settled about this little section at the cross. And Jesus says, my father never left me. He was there at the, crying with me at the very end. That's what he tells me. So I'm going, I can't pack that up. Look at there. You're my God, my God. Why'd you forsake me? He goes, and also I looked at it and there's a little, you know how your uh, NIV has a little thing like at the footnote, you come down and it says Psalm 22. So I go to my other Bible, NASB. There it is, Psalm 22. Guess what? I, I guess I better read Psalm 22. So I read Psalm 22 and it starts off. My God, my God, why would you? I'm doing that passion translation. You guys seem to like that one better. And we're not really doing it as Jesus said this. So, my God, my God, why will you abandon me now? Why do you remain distant, refusing to answer my tearful cries in the day and my desperate cries for your help in the night? I can't stop sobbing. Where are you, my God? That's how it starts. Sounds like abandonment to me. And you go a little further. It's a prophetic, it's, a, it's an extremely prophetic psalm. Verse 16, they have pierced my hands and my feet. Like a pack of wild dogs, they tear at me, swirling around me with their hatred. They gather around me like lions to pin my hands and feet. Pin means to peg them. My bones stick out. Look, out, look, look how they all gloat over me and stare. Verse 18, they toss the dice. They divide my clothes among themselves, gambling for my garments. And then I'm going to go down further. There's, there's more other ones like this, about how his mouth is all dry. Remember, they wanted to give him a sponge. He, all those things are in this. Then it comes down, verse 23. Lovers of Yahweh praise him. Let all the true seeds of Jacob glorify him with your praises. Stand in awe of him, all of you princely people, the offspring of Israel. For he has not despised my cries of deep despair. He's my first responder to my suffering. And he didn't look the other way when I was in pain. He was there all the time, listening to the song of the afflicted. And then the last two verses. His spiritual seed, S-E-E-D, his spiritual seed shall serve him. Future generations will hear of us, from us about the wonders of the sovereign Lord. His generation, yet to be born, will glorify him, and they will all declare, it is finished. That's Psalm 22. That's what Jesus proclaimed on the cross. He gave a self-fulfilling. He said, here's your prophecy. Here I am. That, that's not separation. He's saying, the, and the Father never abandons me. He is always with me. He will never, ever, not ever, no, never forsake me or leave me. I want you to hear that because when Jesus says that the Father loves you like he loves me, there was never a moment of abandonment. When Jesus says, I love the Father like, like I love you, it means he never feels that he'll ever be separated. Jesus and the Father were one. And what you don't really realize is the Father was at great, great risk to allow Jesus to come on earth. Because if, when Jesus came on earth, he, he became man, 100% man, exactly man. 
and he was also God. So you can't separate in dualism the man from the God. So what happens to the man happens to the God. If he sins, righteousness leaves the throne of heaven. That's, how, that's what God the Father risks for our salvation. Should he sin, righteousness leaves the throne of heaven. This is, this is really impactful. The Father doesn't leave Jesus. He sends the Holy Spirit to strengthen Jesus through this because he cares of us to this level. If you want a real theology, understand that the, the triune God was totally engaged in everything that happened to Jesus for us. And so there we stand. Our theology now, our source of theology is Jesus. So now as we go back again, and as we look at Jesus, come to an understanding that the Father is right there with him. That if Jesus says, it will be done, it's done by Father. If, the fa if Jesus says, don't you know that? That's the Father speaking, clarifying what the Pharisees have already twisted. Oh yeah. When you hear Jesus say anything, it's the Father speaking. And when you hear Jesus speaking to you, it's the Father speaking. Because Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will tell you only what I tell him to tell you. And, and Jesus only says what the Father tells him to tell him. So you see the circle of continuity of the, of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit in the triune God. That when you say that the Holy Spirit dwells in me, then that means if the Spirit, the Son, and the Father are one, the triune God dwells in you. It may be manifested through the Holy Spirit, but I can guarantee you this, sometimes when you pray, you don't know which one's going to answer. So, I, I just want you to come to an understanding that as, as I, as next two weeks, we're going to be talking about more things that have to do with what's the Trinity, atonement, things like that. As we talk about these, understand that as we look at whatever Christ did, Christ is. The acts and the word of Christ are the same as the person. So what Christ did, Christ is. And if Christ is, so is the Father. If Christ says, Christ is. If Christ says, so is the Father. And so don't ever misunderstand that, that everything is in agreement. And then we have the absolute assurance that in that agreement, that's why it's so, you see it over and over in the Bible, Father, Son, Father, Son is one. Because that way we know that when Jesus says it is finished, it's finished. It's done. And you, through him, are saved. Oh, yes. And so, now when we come to know God, we don't have to say, I know Jesus, but I wish I knew more about the Father. When we come to God and say, I've been in the presence of the Holy Spirit, but I don't know if I've ever been in the presence of, of the Father or of Jesus. And I can tell you, if you've been in the presence with one of the triune God, you've been in the presence with all of them because they are all one in Christ. I just think this is so, the whole thing with, with when you see how, you know what, it's so funny, I gotta mention this one now. How many of you ever saw The Shack? Yeah. All right. Now, I'm not gonna go so far as the father having marks on his wrist. Do you remember the scene where she, she, had, she showed the marks on her wrist? But she, that the father felt the pain 
of Christ. Could you watch one of your children go through that to save another of his children? Could you, so you've got multiple children. My family was seven of us. So would you as a, a parent, could you send one to save the other six and watch it happen? Of course not. But the oneness of them, though, is their heart. Their both, their love for us was so extreme. I just hope we understand this. So that when we look at our, when we look at and we see these words of incredibleness, enter my kingdom, enter my throne room, well, that you're welcomed into the throne room. It's not we're allowed to go. I mean, I'm allowed to go places that I'm not really welcome. It's being welcomed. It means, it means you're not knocking on the door. You're just walking on in. And it's, it's amazing. I want you to really start to get into the habit of, number one, of journaling, and number two, hearing God. And writing down what you, what you that's, that's silly, I'll write it down. Next thing you know, you're sitting there looking at birds, ah, I'll write that down. And then you go into church and someone's talking about the same thing. You know, Barb will tell you this. I never, ever, um, in our Bible study, tell Rick what we're doing. I mean, I, mean, I don't leave in the dark. I mean, what I mean is, I don't go, hey, we're doing this, this, and this this week, or this, this, and this this week. How many times have we come out of our Bible study and it's gone right into, from a different book of the Bible, the exact same message? over and over and over and over again. Happens all the time. Happened today because I happened to bring it up twice. So, <laughs> you know, do you understand why Paul was so full of joy all the time? Because he, as, as a Jew, had a relationship with his father that was very mysterious. And, he was, and they were all afraid of him. You know, Paul probably wasn't the guy at the bottom of the mountain saying, go on, Moses. But now he knows the Father, and that to him was everything. Do you understand how that was? That we, we take so much for granted. To Paul, that was everything. You tell, you're telling me, not only do I know the Father, I can talk to the Father. Oh my goodness. He thought that was a, the one time a year thing for the high priest, and he wasn't a high priest. So he never thought he could ever be in the presence of the Father. He, he who knew, he knows, he knew, the, he knew that so well. So for him, it was like, I don't believe it. We were just talking about that. Here's Paul writing, I'm with so much joy. You know, he's in prison with a thing on his arm. <laughs> we need to recapture our joy through the thankfulness we have in Christ. We need to recapture who we are in Christ by listening to him and then bringing it back into our regular devotions and time in the, in the Word and seeing how that matches up consistently when God's speaking to you. Because sometimes God says crazy stuff to me, I think that's no way, and I'll go start looking stuff up and go, there it is! Yeah. Then I'll come to someone else, did you know? Well, yeah, but it doesn't matter when you knew it or when you discover it. Here's what's so cool about it is you knew that God related, gave it to you. And what he's saying is, now you've got this, move in it. 
It's your time to do this. That's why I, I think that's the reason he's giving that revelation right now. Uh, today, when we were praying, that what we think is our affliction is going to be our spiritual place. Because the enemy has an idea where your strengths are, and he knows right where you're going, so he's going to hit you where it hurts the most so you can't move in that ministry. I've only had three significant things wrong with me. I've got really bad arthritic feet, so I can't walk in feet that's supposed to carry the, the gospel. I had cancer with this ear, so I couldn't hear God. Then I had cancer in my throat, so I couldn't speak his word. And I said, I will not, and you guys prayed for it, made sure it didn't happen, let that stop me. Barb prayed for my feet all the time, they almost never hurt. I used to walk around where I was like the, like the first man walking on the sun with my feet all the time, and it very rarely ever hurt now. It's because of one accord of being in his, his people. Let's, let's continue to pray for one another today. No doubt about and I want us to, I want us to come into a place right now that if you feel like, I sure wish I could feel the love of God, here's what I want you to do. I want everyone to listen to this now. I want you to find one person you trust in this place and say, give me a hug. It can be your husband or wife. Find one person in this place you trust and say, give me a hug and let the Holy Spirit move through you and let them know the love of God through that. And what, you know what's going to happen is 90% of the time you'll think of something and it'll be God giving you a prophetic word for that person. Release that to them. Let's release it today. Yes. Marcus, who are you going to hug? Come on, bro. You. <laughs> I think dynamite. Dynamite. <laughs> this is for you. All right, let's, let's close in prayer. <laughs> Father, we're just so thankful. You're just so incredible. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The three amigos. Yes. We give you thanks, Lord, that your oneness is an example of how we are to be as your children. Amen. The unity of the church as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one. The unity of each and every one of us as you are one that you went through the hardship of watching the affliction of Christ and remained one. Affliction doesn't separate us. It bonds us. Father, I ask that we each can, in our own metaphorical way, can raise our brothers and sisters, sometimes from the dead or the near dead, both with our prayers, with our love for one another, with our compassion for one another. When someone's down, we're down, so we're going to go down and get them. And when someone's sky high in, in, in absolute excitement over a new job, a new house, new cars, that we're sky high with them. Their joy is my joy. Your, your sadness is my sadness. So we thank you, Lord, that we know that you've never abandoned us. The truly good news of the gospel is Jesus as one with the Father and the Son, and the, Holy, uh, the ones of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so we ask, Lord, that we are in a place to, to love one another as you have loved your Father. 
And Father, we ask that you come right now and bring the Holy Spirit. We seek your presence again. We ask you that you apply the union of Christ. We ask that that you continue to reveal yourself to us. Glory to God. That you, you lead us to throw our entire faith and purpose into the very person of Jesus Christ our Lord. We give you thanks for all you do. We thank you for this very moment in time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thine Amen. Woo! Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes. 